Morning everyone, I'm Ben, uh, I'm part of the church here at Ebby uh, and this morning we're carrying on our series in Romans uh, looking at what do we believe uh, and this morning we're in Romans chapter 5 reading through verses 1 to 11 um, but before we jump into that I just wanted to quickly show you, <laughs> share with you probably one of the most exciting developments of my uh, lockdown pandemic period whatever you want to call it uh, which is this, <laughs> this is a real live actual potato that came out of my garden. Like I dug up my garden and there was potatoes in it. Loads of them, in fact. This is a photo from the other day before I cleaned them up. Uh, this was very exciting development. I have no idea what I'm doing with gardening. So I was very <laughs> thrilled when I was uh, digging around in the garden and found out that there was like 30 potatoes or something could successfully grown in there. Um, anyway, I promise that will be of some relevance later on, but mostly I just wanted to share my excitement about it. Okay, so uh, potatoes to one side for a second. Uh, let's jump into Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, so uh, like most of the book of Romans, it's uh, that's quite sort of tightly packed um, and quite a lot of almost sort of technical language in there. Um, but really, this is a letter from Paul um, where he's trying to um, explain or set out some understanding of how the life death and resurrection of Jesus uh, turns the whole world on its head and why he believes that this is the fundamental um, act happening event um, at the center of life the universe and everything um, and I think that's obviously a massive task to take on uh, to try and explain the central uh, event of the whole life, the universe, and everything, um, and I think sometimes uh, when we look at Romans, it's tempting to feel like this is this is giving a complete answer because this is such a massive thing, and we kind of want to be able to get a handle on it. And because the Book of Romans feels so sort of um, carefully and technically written, I suppose there's lots of sort of almost like a lawyer making a case, lots of language like that. Um, 
I think it's tempting to feel like, well, this, this, but this is the complete answer. If I can just get the hang of this, then I will know everything there is to know um, about how and why uh, Jesus' life, death and resurrection changes everything. Um, and I just want to say before we sort of get too far down that track or too far into digging into any of the particulars, um, I think that is basically almost never true. Well, it can never be true. Um, I think any time anybody wants to tell you that they've got a complete answer to, um, to Jesus and to how that changes everything, if they, if they want to tell you that they've, they've managed to put it all in a little box and tie a bow on it and they can present you the full picture of exactly how this works and this is all you need to know and once you know this then you've got the whole thing down, I think you can always turn around to somebody telling you that and say to them, your idea is too small. If you think that you can get a handle on exactly how all of this works, then the idea that you have of how all of this works is too small. And I'm basically 100% confident that that will always be true. That we, we will never, it doesn't matter how long we spend studying it, how carefully we articulate it, we will never be able to um, fully comprehend and express um, exactly what Jesus does and how that works. There's just so much going on and it's so transformative of absolutely everything and it's just from realms of like logic and understanding that are way beyond our ability to comprehend. There's just no way that we would ever be able to fully get a handle on all of it. And so if anybody tells you that they have got a handle on all of it and here it is and you just need to get this one thing and then it's all sorted, just say to them, your idea is too small. And I'm sure that will always be true. And so all we ever really get in Romans or any other bit of the Bible or any other bit of our understanding, the best we can hope for really is sort of one facet of one fraction of the totality of what this stuff covers. That This is such a um, transformative and everything covering <laughs> story, event, however you want to describe it, that every time we look at it, every way we try and get a handle on it, everything we try and understand about it, um, the best we can do is one one way of looking at one bit of it. You know, there might be one aspect of Jesus's life, death and resurrection that we can hold up to the light at one time, like looking through a, a diamond, and we can sort of see through that one angle of it at one moment in time. Um, but the idea that we can ever comprehend and hold the whole thing in our heads at once, I think our ideas will always be too small. And so this bit of Romans, the whole of Romans, is, is no different to that. Um, this is never going to be the complete answer, but what we might be able to get is um, one piece of the picture. Uh, and I think the Bible is pretty open about that. Like the, if, if anybody tells you, yeah, but you, you have to just get the biblical answer and then you'll have the whole thing. The Bible itself um, is pretty open about the fact that it doesn't have the whole answer. So John, at the end of the book of John, he writes that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So by the Bible's own admission, we don't even have a, a tiny percentage of all of the things that Jesus did. If, if they'd all been written down, there wouldn't have been room for all the books that would be written. So we know that we don't have all the information even. Um, and Paul writing elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, talks about how now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I only know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So 
we can't get the full, complete, total, tied up with a bow, got it all sorted, all locked down, understood every last bit of it, answer. We can't have one of those. It's just not possible. Um, the stuff that Jesus accomplishes is too big. But I don't think that means that we should therefore uh, give up on the idea of being able to know anything about it. And uh, that's what made me think of my potatoes. <laughs> uh, because so I don't really know I don't know how this happened. There's something, there's some, it's photosynthesis, something like that. Like there's something to do with the sun and the rain coming in from the outside and the nutrients in the soil from the inside and some cells in there. So like something happens uh, to turn an old dying potato in the mud into six or 30 brand new amazing ones that I can eat for my dinner. There's like, I, I've got some vague idea of, of how that growth happens, but I don't have the full, I don't have anywhere close to the full answer. Um, I think even if I'd done a PhD in biology, I wouldn't be able to have the full, full answer. There's always more mysteries. One of the things, other things I've done in lockdown is start watching lectures on quantum mechanics. I don't know why. Uh, and you just realize that there's so many things that we only have a partial understanding of, but uh, that doesn't mean that we have no understanding or there's no reason, there's no hope, there's no point in, in um, looking at those things. And so even though I don't know exactly every last detail of, of how a potato <laughs> grows, I know enough to work with. I know enough to know that if I put some of them in the ground and wait, <laughs> basically it turns out that was all I needed to know in order for it to, to work. To, it, I mean, it did feel like magic when I was digging them up. But the point is, I, I don't have the full understanding, but I've got enough to work with. Um, and I think that that is true of uh, any time we're trying to understand bits of the Bible. But I especially wanted to give that sort of note with Romans, because I feel like sometimes it's tempting to think that our Romans spells it all out for us. It, it doesn't. Nothing can. But like every other piece of understanding that we can get to with this stuff, I do think um, what Paul is trying to do is look at one piece of the picture here and to give us enough to work with. So sure, we might not understand the full growing process, but we know enough to make it work. <laughs> um, and so that's what I wanted to spend the rest of the time this morning looking at really, um, is just a, a, some of the specific things that I think Paul uh, wants to encourage us to work with. Sure, this might not be the full picture, every last thing we need to know, um, but there is enough understanding of how Jesus changes things um, for us to get on and, and do something with that information. Um, and so I wanted to look at, at three things specifically. Uh, there's tons that you can pull out from pretty much any passage. I just wanted to pull out um, three this morning. Uh, so those three come from these sections. Um, the first one is uh, where he talks about how we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. I think that's one thing that he feels changes as a result of Jesus. Um, then just the next line, we also glory in our sufferings. I think he thinks that's another thing that changes that we can do differently, that we can work with because of Jesus. Uh, and thirdly, this is one of my all-time favourite verses. It's a really um, important one to me uh, growing up. When I was 12, somebody shared this with me on a holiday camp somewhere, and it has just always really, really spoken to me. I think gets to part of the heart of this 
mystery that is too big for us to understand about Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I think these are three things that Paul gives us uh, that aren't the whole picture, but they're enough to work with, enough to be doing something with. Um, so we're just going to quickly run through each of those in turn. But I think all three of them have something in common, which is uh, this is as a result of Jesus's work. Therefore, this is how this whole passage starts, because of what Jesus has done, these things. And I think it's to do with the fact that this puts Jesus uh, at the top of everything. This, this, this reorients our universe with uh, Jesus as the ultimate thing in it. And so I think each of these three things, what they are, are um, overthrown idols. I think they are three examples among many of things that could be um, the central thing that we build our life around, things that could be how we work out if life is good or not, things that could be how we um, choose how to live our lives. Um, but actually, because Jesus is now established as the central ultimate thing in the universe then these three things get replaced at the top of that chain and so the first one uh, I've, I've called um, the powers that be i think one of the things that paul says changes as a result of jesus um, is the role of the powers that be we boast in the hope of the glory of god again i've seen me do this before i don't think the emphasis here is on the word boast this isn't how do we respond to the hope of the glory of god do we boast about it are we quiet about it do we keep it a secret this isn't the word that matters the important bit here is what are we boasting in because every, boast everybody has something to boast in um and i think paul says as a result of jesus we boast our boast now is in the hope of the glory of god um so in another you know another thing that you might boast in a sort of Another power that you might hold up as your own might be, um, in Jesus' day, Caesar or the empire. We boast in Caesar. He's on our coins. He's on the shields of our armies. His, his is the name uh, that we hold up and say, I'm on that side. And as long as Caesar is winning, then I am winning. And I think you know, we see this all throughout history. People always will find a team to be on, a champion to go and represent them, a, a power to um, put their hope in uh, and Paul says that because of Jesus one of the things that changes is now our boast is in the hope of the glory of God it's not in Caesar it's not in the empire um, it's in God and, and these things can cut both ways so um, this is about what role do these things have and uh, I think for a lot of people um, it can still be things like political powers and, and you see that both, both ways. So what I mean by that is there are definitely people out there in the world who boast in the strength of the political team that they've backed. And you see that at some sort of like rallies and uh, events and some of the posts you might pick up on Facebook, whatever. You know, people are like, my team, my country, my nation is winning. And that's how I know that my life is going well. My hope, my boast is in this team achieving what they want to achieve goes the other way as well. Sometimes we can feel um, despairing or like life is beyond hope and that there's no chance of anything being good because the powers that be are not doing the things that we want to do, not acting in the way that we want to see, not representing the things we want to see represented. And we can kind of throw our hands up and go, 
they're the powers that be, they're the ones with the power, um, I can't do anything. Either way, it still elevates those powers that be to that, that higher status where we work out if our life is going well or not um, based on what's happening uh, with those kind of worldly, political, external powers. Is life good? Is life bad? Depends if my team is winning or losing. Depends if the powers that be are acting the way I want to see them acting or not. But Paul says, because of Jesus, those things are no longer the supreme decider. That is not the thing that has the final word. That is not the ultimate um, determining factor in how life is. Our boast is not in Caesar, not in empire, not in the powers that be. Our boast now is in the hope of the glory of God. Second thing, um, I think he says changes because of Jesus is the role of life circumstances in deciding whether things are going great or not in shaping um, how we feel about our world. Um, he talks about glorying in our sufferings. Now, a lot of the time, um, I think subconsciously or deliberately, um, life circumstances are elevated to this highest position of deciding whether life is working out or not. It, they become the most important thing. And so the, the, the determining factor in is life how I want it to be, is are my life circumstances how I want them to be? Um, for a lot of the sort of Western world, I feel like avoiding suffering and inconvenience and discomfort at any cost is like the highest good. That is the big deciding factor. Is life good or not? Well, how much inconvenience am I having to go through? How long have I been stuck in this queue? Um, obviously, sufferings can be on a huge spectrum from the trivial to the very serious. Um, but the point is that it's this idea of whether life circumstances are the deciding factor in the quality of our life. Is life good or not? Does that depend on, am I living in the house that I want to live in? Have I got the car that I want to drive? Have I got the health that I hope for? Um, have I got my dream job or not? I feel like a lot of the time those in practice do become the deciding factor of whether life is good or not. But Paul is saying, uh, because of Jesus, then our life circumstances are no longer the final word in anything. Um, and so suffering can come along, um, but that doesn't destroy us. It, life is not ruined beyond repair if there's any suffering in it. There is a chance of glory and hope in the middle of those sufferings um, because the story of Jesus and the life that he offers us is so much bigger uh, than those things that they're not the final word um, and so life circumstances are no longer the determining factor um, and thirdly uh, I think he overthrows the idol of our own ability um, my own ability to make life how I want it to be to pull myself up by my bootstraps to um, perform to my own expectations, to not screw up, to get things right, to be a success, to be a good person. Um, Paul talks about how God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he wasn't waiting, God wasn't waiting for us to get ourselves sorted, to have it all sorted out, to be neat and tidy and perfect and flawless and make no mistakes, be a good person, be perfectly kind and loving and to have gotten rid of every trace of sin from our lives before he could come in and say all right now you can be in relationship with me he shows that it's an act of love because it was while we were still complete screw-ups while we were 
in the middle of fighting with each other, of being angry and cruel and dismissive and heartless and selfish and all of those things, while we were still deep in the middle of being our most screwed up selves, Christ died for us. God shows that to be an act of love that is not waiting on us to be okay before it can come into action. Um, it was while, while we were a mess, <laughs> while we were a mess, that God shows that he's willing to die for us. It's just a completely mind-blowing concept that I have even remotely enough time to touch on, but I, I th yeah, <laughs> um, I hope that you can see um, why it's so powerful that it was while we were still sinners. Um, and so that overthrows this idea of it being all about our ability to get things sorted, to straighten ourselves out, to perform well, to succeed, to um, be right. Because it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It's often tempting to feel like it's on us to pull ourselves up to the place where we can be acceptable to God or even just to ourselves, whatever, whoever we think it is that determines our value, whoever it is that decides whether we are loved or not, whoever's approval we are seeking, it's really tempting to feel like it's all on us to make sure we've done everything we can to win that approval. But Paul says it's God's approval that matters and he shows that he loves you no matter what. So it's not about your own ability, it's about his love. Those are just three things among many that I think Paul is saying they change because of Jesus. Like we can't figure out exactly why and how and the full details of how that happens, but we know enough. We know enough to work with those things. And just one last note um, before we finish. Um, I think that while Paul says that all of those things are massively changed because of Jesus, that they're no longer the most important, they're no longer the determining factor in whether life is good or not, that it's not about how the powers that be are behaving, that it's not about whether our life circumstances are peachy or not, that it's not about our own ability to win people's approval. None of those things have the final say anymore. It's now about Jesus and what he's done and his love for us. All those things have been overthrown. They're no longer the most important thing. But it doesn't mean that they're gone doesn't mean that they're deleted, doesn't mean that they cease to exist and have no influence anymore. Um, it just means that they're no longer the ultimate thing, because now Jesus is. And so what that lets us do is to live differently, to live in a different relationship to those things, to have a different power relationship with them, so that they're no longer the deciding ultimate factor. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're gone. And so the powers that be are still there. They might not be the shaping final word in whether life is good or not, but they are still around. And so we can't just wash our hands of it and go, well, I don't need to engage with uh, politics or power or anything. That all seems very tawdry and beneath me. I'm on this transcendent plane of floating above that with God. And, you know, that's, that's all beneath me. It's not the case at all. Um, Paul is saying that our relationship with those things is changed by Jesus. Um, but they're still there. And actually, it's really important to engage with them and to show that perseverance and character and hope that he talks about in our relationship with the powers that be. Same goes for life circumstances. Yes, they don't get to be the deciding factor of if life is good or not, of what matters in the world. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not still there. Of course, they're still there. It doesn't mean that we can just say, well, I'm immune to suffering now. It doesn't mean 
anything that life can throw at me makes zero difference to me. They're not the ultimate thing, but of course they're still there. And it's important to uh, strive to diminish uh, suffering of those who are in pain, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. We recognize um, that circumstances still happen, that suffering is still real and painful. We're just saying that because of Jesus, it no longer is the final say. And the same for our own ability and our own um, behavior and character and what we do with the choices that we have. Yes, those aren't the deciding factor. Whether I am a screw-up or not is not the deciding factor in God's love for me. I do not need to be perfect to be loved. I do not need to get it all right to be approved and to be a valuable person. But it doesn't mean that my behavior makes no difference and I can just shrug it off. And Paul says elsewhere in Romans, should we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. It doesn't mean this stuff is irrelevant. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's gone away. It just means that it's not got the final word. Um, the final word rests with Jesus. And that's not a complete picture. I don't know, I can't tell you the full details on exactly how that works, the complete process by which all those things come about, but I think there's enough to work with. And so that's the encouragement really is, um, let's do that work um, and strive to live in a different relationship to those things, um, to make Jesus the ultimate deciding factor um, above the powers that be, above our life circumstances, above our own ability. Um, I think there's enough to work with there. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you that because of Jesus, you have the supremacy and it is your actions and verdict and your love and grace and mercy that wins out. Help us to live with those things as the deciding factor, the biggest picture, the ultimate power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.